And I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. And the seas boiled, and the skies fell. Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Every ancient religion has its own myth about the end of the world. Myth? Ray, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave? How about a little music? Psychologists forced out of their university funding set up shop as a unique ghost removal service in New York City, attracting frightened yet skeptical customers. It is the greatest film of all time. Ghostbusters 1984, Ivan Reitman's classic. Tonight we're talking about it on Extras and Epilogues. And ladies and gentlemen, wow, I'm so excited for Ghostbusters. I'm choking on my own love here. Uh, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the theater. My name is Shannon Young. I'm going to be your host tonight. With me, of course, I have my co-host slash other host, Hunter Hendricks. I'm going to take back some of the things I said about you, Shannon. You, you've, you've earned it. I'd say that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, but that's the whole movie. <laughs> that's so, true. It really is. <laughs> uh, and joining us tonight, and God damn it, I won't hear a single joke about how he hasn't seen the film. I won't stand for it. <laughs> Returning to Extras and Epilogues, Cody Sandusky. Hunter, tell him about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? <laughs> Man, we, we spent, before we get into the movie, we spent so long torturing cody with the oh idea that he God. hadn't seen ghostbusters and and for the uninitiated because we, we really don't make the joke that often anymore no, it's just been a long time that at some point in time somebody had referenced me and shannon as being like the big ghostbusters fans and cody rightly pointed out i also am a big ghostbusters fan <laughs> to which shannon innocently replied oh cody we know you've never seen the movie and it, it just started the took the storm root. Yeah. It devolved to the point that at Cody's own wedding, Jesus <laughs> yep. Christ, Shannon yep. and I conspired to have the DJ play the Ghostbusters theme, play the Ray Parker Jr. song, such that we could go to him and go. Now this song, Cody, uh, yep. is from this Ghostbusters. Yeah, this I, I'll give some context on multiple things about this bit because I, as much as I loathe it and react to it, it has been a strong, <laughs> long running thing. Uh, mind you, that moment. It was during the dollar dance, so I was paid money as a contribution to Correct. my honeymoon fund yes. to be then made fun of and told about the song I'd never heard yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> also noticed a complete sidebar, that same portion of the wedding reception also included a man in an inflated T-Rex costume. I do remember that T-Rex costume. with me to the Jurassic yes. Park theme. Yes. So, yes. you know. Yes, indeed. Also, I had a um, very bizarre wedding. It's fine. That that joke uh, <laughs> escaped our friends group and yes. got into your friends groups. That was the next bit I was yes. going to say. It has followed yes, it me did. to a shared employer of Hunter and I. It is Followed me to oh, River Radio. We can friends groups. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> saying now. yeah. Oh, us to River Radio. <laughs> followed me to multiple friends groups, not even affiliated with this social circle at all. Yeah, it, it followed what my I, life for a number of years. <laughs> when I left River Radio in 2018, uh, one of our coworkers literally came to me and goes, "So you need me to keep up the Ghostbusters bit with Cody, <laughs> right?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, I do. It, Very it much did. so." It, to their credit, they, they did. did. 
Also, <laughs> it it gave uh, birth to. Oh, I don't like that term, but uh, it, it, Hunter and I created probably my favorite intro to a show we've ever done, where we took the classic Tim and Eric oh bit God. about a free house <laughs> and turned it into free Ghostbusters. We recorded yes. it uh, separately. We mixed it together, and it it was one of my favorite bits we've ever done. So I'm it, it s- they kind of made a third one too. Yeah, this and was they, before after like, they was did. Even announced. Right then right. they did make a third one. Yeah. So oh man. In case you can't tell, this is not going to be like last week's episode. Um, if, no. <laughs> if you're here to hear us just obliterate Ghostbusters like we did Dog Soldiers, you got the wrong guy. It's guys. just not gonna happen. It happened, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. spoiler alert, I'm just going to get it out of the way now. Two thumbs up. It is literally my favorite film of all time. No, no joke. Uh, Seconded. Ju- yeah. Well, just for, just for professionalism's sake, I'm going to go around the room real quick. Let's start with you, Hunter. Sure. What say you on our grand scale that the great Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel created? What is your verdict? It's no question, and I can't even make a joke about it. It's two thumbs so far up that you can see my armpits. Like that's just <laughs> that's just how it goes. I mean, I can't. Okay, I did make a joke about it, but you still, um, yeah, no, it, it is. It is also uh, conveniently, in many ways, my legitimately my favorite movie of all time. It's as far as I'm concerned, nearly flawless. I don't think there is a flawless movie. There, there are nits that I will pick with it, um, sure. but it is about as good as it could possibly get. It's a movie I can watch any time of the year, any day or night, uh, and and feel comforted. And I, I don't want to get too deep into it right now, but legitimately, it's just one of those movies that I recommend to anyone who's never seen it. Um, yeah, it's as good as it gets. Yeah, 100% agreed there. Cody, let's go to you. Now that you've seen the film of... Uh, Years ago, now that you've he seen the it. film years ago, how do you, uh, what's your verdict? Uh, I'll quote Will Smith and go even further. Uh, I'm about to give it two thumbs up, ten toes, one knee, and probably a couple elbows. This movie is by far <laughs> my favorite movie. There's a pantheon of 80s comedies and just generally comedies that are in my favorites of all time. It's Ghostbusters, Back to yeah. the Future, and Blues Brothers. Yeah. And this one is the pinnacle yes. of all of them. It is an incredible comedy. It is incredibly relatable despite, and I'm sure we'll get into it, what the script was originally supposed to be oh, and what many cliffs Dan Aykroyd <laughs> had to be talked back off of to make this a feasible film in any form. Dry humor for, create, for uh, comics or actors at the top of their game. Yeah. It's perfect. Well, not I just, have no notes. Not just four. I would say five. Let's throw Rick Moranis in there. Well, I mean, um, you could... Yeah, you have sure. Sigourney, yeah, Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver. Weaver's at the top of hers. Annie um, Potts, honestly, even before she got into her big roles on television. Right. Great. So, in, in telling personal stories, I've told this story on the show before. I want to tell it once again. If you're new to, to Podzilla 1985, if you've come here because you're a movie buff and you, you specifically listen to this show, um, my, one of my favorite stories and, and people's favorite stories about me during my happier days as a wee one, small child, uh, we had a, a movie rental store nearby VHS is at the time because I was born in, you know, the sixties or fifties or whatever. And, um, my, so, you know, when you were 30, they had, when VHS I was 30, right. yeah. I rented Ghostbusters so many times. This is a true story. I rented Ghostbusters so many times every week from the same video store that they felt sorry for my mother and they gave her the cassette because they we, she spent so much money there on one movie. Um, there, there's two movies that I specifically remember from that time period. 
Ghostbusters, which I rented constantly, that black cover with the no ghost logo mm-hmm. is the most iconic yep. cover in to me of all time. Uh, I think Cody's about to sure. pop it up right now. He's got it right pop, there. Pop up the visual history. Right yeah. It emulates yeah. it. Yeah. Right over my shoulder. Yep, yeah. you got it over there. This guy is what you, it looks you, like I'm doing. I don't I don't have my video on, but I have a box copy behind me along with the Atari game. Or not the Atari. Oh, yeah, it is the Atari ah. game uh, for Ghostbusters. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, rented it so many times that they gave it to her. By the way, the other the other film, if you're curious, I can't remember the name of it, but I'll never forget the cover because it scared the hell out of me. It was a skeleton, sh- like, uh, cowboy. And it was like him in an old west town. It was a skeleton, but he was dressed like a cowboy. And it freaked me out. Of I did watch that film eventually. Had nothing to do with the cover. And I was so upset. It, I don't know why I'm the one um, of the three of us that Googled that. The one that's scared of everything just literally typed in skeleton cowboy movie cover. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> What's well, funny? Yeah, I'm looking through and I'm still not seeing unless it's uh, called House 2. No, not House 2. That one I know. I know that movie. Uh, okay, so you know that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. House, uh, it's House... not Ghost Town, is it? Well, that's not a... That's not a Wait, hold on. Ghost Town cowboy. Uh, movie cover. Because that sounds familiar. Let me pop that up real quick. 1988. 1988. It's got uh, that's the it's one. A, it's a that's skull. the one. Yep. Is that it? That's the Holy one. Holy shit! Hunter right, nailed there you it. Go. Ghost town. Oh, it looks terrible. It was um. <laughs> terrible and had little to do with bad. with that film. But you know, Cody, I, I, it's funny you mentioned Ghostbusters as being a comedy because it absolutely is a comedy. But when I was a kid, I did not watch it for the comedy. I watched it for the horror because sure. it, as a, as a child, this movie yeah. could be terrifying. The library ghost yeah. alone. Oh. Uh, yeah. scared the hell out of me the the yeah. taxi cab ghost scared the hell out of me they they, they were yeah. legitimately frightening moments of this film yeah i um i have a, i have a similar story that i know i've told to some degree uh not necessarily a regular rental but you know my parents were separated for a brief period of time when i was a kid and my dad cut the cable because i was only at his house uh on the weekends he wasn't around to watch it he didn't watch you know much of anything so we had air channels we had vhs and that's about all we had going for us um, especially if I came home and, and it was raining, you know, over the weekend or whatever, I couldn't go anywhere. Um, the VHS tapes that he had that then turned into shaping me were stripes, uh, tombstone, mm. Jurassic park mm-hmm. and ghostbusters, uh, and raising Arizona. Sorry. I knew there was, there was another one. Um, but ghostbusters was the one that I watched most of the time. And the thing of it was, and I actually, I did a little research for this show. Uh, I called my mom. I talked to her. I talked to my dad a little bit about this too. Uh, I, the first thing I ever saw was the real Ghostbusters. No, did not see the movies first because, again, I was born in 85. I was born a year after this movie came out. Right. So it wasn't until I was, you know, four or five years old and the real Ghostbusters was taken over TV that that's what I saw first. And we had several VHS uh, sets of, like, you know, two or three cartoons on each tape or whatever. Um but I watched the show regularly on TV, then watched it that way. And then as I got a little bit older, my dad was like, you, you got to watch the movie, man. Like, it's it's close, but you got to really watch the the movies. Um, and then I was hooked. I was hooked from that point forward and, yeah, wore that VHS out like nobody's business. This film gave me my interest in the paranormal. Uh, anybody that knows me on a personal level, or if you listen to I Want to Believe, you know that I have an obsession with the paranormal. Hunter has uh, jokingly... I think compared me to Fox Mulder several occasions. Uh, <laughs> lovingly is the word I lovingly, would use to describe it. Yeah. And so, but this is the movie that gave me my start. I often credit the, the TV show sightings and the X-Files as what, as what helped get me to the paranormal, but it was Ghostbusters. It was the idea that there was life after death, that there were ghosts and that you could somehow monetize that 
it was incredible to me. So let's let's run through let's run through the basics real quick. If you haven't seen Ghostbusters, I, what's wrong with you? Real quick before you do it, it's 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 uh, a <laughs> because we reference. I think you should leave so often now. As soon as you said it, how have we not made the joke yet of Vinkman just going? Ah, there's got to be a way to make money off this. <laughs> I, I really, really want, want to. to. Well, do you remember <laughs> my favorite part of the movie is when uh, uh, Ray Stantz says the go? You know, it's interesting the ghosts. And and <laughs> kind of went from there. Uh, again, if you've never seen oh, Ghostbusters, do yourself there a favor is. and go watch it. Again, it's the best film of all time. Uh, released in 1984, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, uh, and Ivan Reitman, I think, uh, at least had a part in coming up with something, or at least tweaking so, the ideas. Because that, Cody right, mentioned Reitman that earlier. directed it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so he directed it, but but again, the, the original deal and I want Cody to tell the story because I think it'll be great coming yes. from him. Yes. But the gist of it is that that Ackroyd wrote the original treatment and he took it to the time and Reitman and Reitman went, You're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no yeah. way because it's this wild. movie's gonna cost three hundred million dollars to make in the eighties. There's no way. And also um, would not so nearly he been was as the good. one who No, no, no. Cody, let's tell them about what the original. Tell tell them about the Twinkie. Tell, tell them about, about the original treatment. For right, let's turn about the, the interdimensional the real Twinkie. Film. Yeah, go ahead. So the yeah. film was drafted as Ghost Smashers, not even Ghostbusters. So there was a name change. Yes, I don't like the that whole, title at all. No, no, it would not have. <laughs> Although it would have been less of a well. legal fight. That's true. It would have been much less of a legal fight. <laughs> but the way Ackroyd had originally pictured this is this was going to be an interdimensional time traveling romp. It was going to happen on another planet in another dimension. The whole premise True. of Ghost Smashers, which is one of the few things that really translated to the film that we know, is that these were extermination, you know, men. These were staff. This was a blue collar job in Dan Ackroyd's mind in this universe. These were people who were just hired, they were plumbers. Yeah. yeah, you have policemen, you have firemen, and you have ghost smashers. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the ghost thing. Smashers. Yeah. And, and this whole the whole thing, like I said, was interdimensional time travel. They were going to be fighting. I'm trying to remember what like the end being was supposed to be, but it was going to be on another planet. And Ivan Reitman Hunter and I were referencing it off the air, but there's a great book called Wild and Crazy Guys, which talks about a lot of the top comedians of the 80s, and they have a chapter about this yeah. book. And Hunter almost nailed it exactly where Ivan Reitman said this would be a multi-hundred million dollar film. We cannot make it. It yeah. will not happen. It's and, impossible. And again, just hearing the initial pitch, maybe if I had never seen the actual Ghostbusters and someone said that, I would be like, oh, that sounds interesting. But as someone sure. like like all three of us who has studied this film, who has watched it a billion times, no way in hell. It's not often I cuss on this show, on this show, but no way in <laughs> fucking hell would this movie had, had done as well as it did. No. Um, speaking of, it is a $30 million budget versus a $295 million box office, which, as Ooh. Hunter pointed out in the trivia, adjusted for inflation, it's the highest grossing film in Columbia Pictures history. Um, starring... Yep. Would be the thirty-second highest-grossing movie of all time. Which had is, it, had uh, it, you know, if you compare its money, which uh, in upsets general. me. It upsets me when I look at movies like Ava. No, you know what? I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not <laughs> going to do it. It's not the time, man. It's not the this time. This is a happy place. place. This is a happy. We're keep this a happy place. <laughs> Starring a who's who of '80s stars. You've got, oh as God. we said, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Sigourney Weaver, of uh, Rick Moranis, Ernie Hudson, William Atherton. Uh, Annie Potts. Annie Potts. I couldn't Andy believe it. I, I forgot her. Uh, it, it, it's it's an incredible cast, an absolutely incredible cast. Yes. Funny enough, uh, and I'm sure we'll mention this, but I'll just get it out of the way now. Ernie Hudson, not the original choice for the role, nope. uh, famously was going to go to Eddie Murphy, 
but Eddie Murphy's yep. stock was rising so high, and I think he was doing Beverly Hills Cop around the same time. Yes, um, he was. Yep. So, and he was getting ready for Delirious. And that's yeah. that's actually what Wild and Crazy Guys yeah. references that he was wanting to focus on his stand up special yep. instead yep. as well. So yeah, the, it's it's almost it it's almost as powerful film. to talk about who who didn't get into the movie, who did or not get in, but who didn't do the movie as it is who did because it's not just uh, Eddie Murphy could have been in the Ernie Hudson role of Winston. It's John Belushi, Belushi. could have been somewhere. Every, everybody talks about who he could have been. There were talks of him being the Bill Murray character. Uh, they they sort of reference him with the, the Slimer character afterward. Uh, but in any case, he was going to be in the movie some yeah. way or another. Uh, Ackroyd wanted him in there. They, they were the two big partners. He was going to be part of it. Chevy Chase was rumored for part of it. He ended up turning oh, it down. Uh, he he maintains video, that Right, right. He maintains that the version he read was much darker, despite the fact that no one else can corroborate this dark version of the story ever existing. Um, there was another one that just oh, John Candy, John yeah, Candy. Rick Moranis, also in the as Lewis Tully was supposed, yeah, it was supposed to be John Candy. John Candy and Ivan Reitman could not get on the same page because Candy didn't get the movie, and so he was like, "I think I should play this character with a German accent, and I should have big dogs." Big dogs. And Ivan Reitman went, "You're out of your mind, Sergeant." <laughs> um, <laughs> But but interestingly, it was if I remember correctly, it was Candy who sent it over to Rick Moranis and was like, "You might like this." And an hour later, he called Ivan Reitman and was like, "I want this movie. I want yeah. this part. I don't care what it takes. I want this. I know what this should be like." And damn it, if he didn't, because so man, yeah, so often in comedy films they have that character, the nerdy kind of like you know weird character. Yeah, and so often it's the cringiest character in the movie, but not for the right reasons. Like it's so overplayed. Right. Uh, when you when you have the stupid character in a film, it's so easy to go too far and make them too stupid or too obnoxious. Yeah. I, get, I, I bring up another Ghostbusters film, Ghostbusters uh, Answer the Call. I like that movie. I know it's kind of a it's a divided topic with us on the show, but we can sure. all agree that uh, even though I found him funny, the the role that uh, Thor, what's his name, Hemsworth, Hemsworth, yeah. Chris Hemsworth, yeah, Chris Hemsworth, the role that that he played in that yeah, film. I, I is, won't get on a rant, but it. It's too far it's on the bad. stupid scale. It's too far on the stupid yeah, scale. Yeah, he's just he's just dumb. Lewis yeah. Tully, Lewis Tully is, is a believable at the same character. Time, right at the, at, at the same time, because it's Rick Moranis, he is nerdy and a little off putting, but he's also lovable, charming, and he's charming and he's over the top and crazy. But he doesn't dominate a scene. He only adds to it. Right. Again, it's Rick Moranis. Yeah, it's it, the, yeah. the two are inextricable in in my mind. They are the same the same thing yeah yeah run, running off tax jargon hosting a party only to use it as a tax write-off that's why you invited clients yeah. not friends the way he did you believe the internet the oh my god the, the, the fucking like the, arm yeah. dance. oh my god it's basically what kevin McAllister does in home alone which yes. tells you that those two things are the same <laughs> but if you believe the internet rick moranis ad-libbed almost all of that and if you i, I never noticed again until i read it today and watched it i'm always noticing new stuff about this movie it's one shot from the yep. moment that he puts the the smoked salmon, which of course he got as a great deal straight from Nova Scotia, uh, on the table, all the way up to okay, who brought the dog? It, or well, no, when he throws the coat in and it lands on on the dog in the other room, it's it's one shot, and it's just him talking about his clients, talking about the random stuff that's going on, it's how so much money he's saving. Yeah. It's great business and receivership. When natural. when <laughs> when Dana turns him down, he doesn't become weird about it. He just Okay. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. The way he says it is so great. Just oh, that's okay. Or you know, later, you know, you brought you you made a date for the night of my party. 
oh, bring him on. You know, yeah. just bring him around. And, and even at that oh, part, good. there's a little thing in that part that I didn't notice as a kid and I noticed as an adult that made me appreciate the scene more. And that's when he says that instead of being annoyed or showing how obnoxious he is, she smiles. She smiles. And it's a genuine smile yeah. of this is a good natured yes. guy. Uh, it's perfect. Yes. It's perfect. Now He's the movie, harmless. the movie's not perfect. I do have some gripes with it, which we we have to mention at some point. But again, okay, again, getting the basics out of the way because I still haven't done that. Uh, these guys play uh, scientists who come up with a way to both catch and contain ghosts, and they use it to yeah. form the first independent. Like you said, it's the firefighters, it's the police, it's a service that they provide for for a nominal fee. And uh, the the basic of the movie is them which can't be too big. Yeah, no, no, no job is too big. No, no fee is too big. No fee is too big. big. And it's okay. It's endlessly quotable too. I, I I don't know if I go a single day without quoting some piece of Ghostbusters. Say right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why it was the one that stuck with me. I love that. I don't know why it stuck with me, but the one I had to put in as the subtitle for us tonight. You know, you're right. No human being would stack books like this. I referenced that at Comic-Con and yeah. looked right at Shannon when I did it on he the recording. Did. You can see it. If you go back and watch our, our plays, um, the the witch in the hut had stacked some books up. And I said, you know, it's obviously magical because no human being would stack books like this. It, it's one of the most <laughs> respectful films to ghosts, you know, in, in the way they portray yeah. them and the way they portray, portray ectoplasm and stuff like that. Um, famously, Dan Aykroyd, big believer in the paranormal, uh, huge believer yeah. in the paranormal. Uh, Harold Ramis, not. He did not believe no. in any of it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they put this film together, and I, I you know, I, I don't think it's a secret. Harold, Harold Ramis is legitimately one of my heroes. He's one of my favorite directors and favorite actors of all time. I yeah. was I was exceptionally sad when he passed away. Um, and he's in his prime form in this movie. I know he's good in, you know, uh, those 80s comedies. I, I know he directed some fantastic stripes. films. He's great in Stripes. He, he directed um, Groundhog Day, which balls, is one of my favorite yeah. movies. But yep, it's him as Egon Spangler in the first movie that solidified him as a personal hero to me. Everybody's great. Everybody's fantastic. Um, we could rant all night about how good it is, but let's switch gears for just a second. Just a second. <laughs> and let's talk about some of the things we didn't like. Because Hunter said it correctly. No movie's perfect. You gotta have right. if if you love something, you should be able to point out its flaws. And there right. are a couple that bother me. I think one of the most pointless scenes in movie history, and it's because they butchered what was an actual scene, is the I don't know how yep. else to say it, the ghost blowjob scene. Um That's what it is. It's yep. awkward. <laughs> It's weird. It was completely unnecessary. Don't know why they left it in so, there. Um, I, I for, don't for, know for why. Reference sake, for allegedly. The, so for reference sake, for the for the listener, um, in in certain cuts, not cuts of the movie because it never made it into the final cut. But for every movie, there's stuff that gets read on, left on the cutting room floor. And right. for this movie, because it was already a comedy in the '80s that was running an hour and forty five minutes. It's kind of long um, at that time, anyway. God bless. Those One of the times. things they cut. Right. <laughs> One of the things that they cut was uh, Ray and Winston doing uh, an investigation and a, and, a, and a stakeout and then eventually a bust at a fort, at a military fort in New York. Um, and at one point in time, as they're staying there over the course of the night, this female ghost basically comes on to Ray. The The deal was there was going to then be a subplot that he was in love with a ghost. Because if any of them is going to be in love with a ghost, it's obviously going to be it's Ray. 100%, right? I mean, that's, yeah. He's in love with the concept of it, so this do we just make it manifest. Um, 
So when none of that made it to the actual movie and it got cut, the only thing they kept was a brief scene that they then made look like a dream sequence because Ray's so tired that he has this dream. You can even see the room that they're in is obviously like not the same room. It's well, weird. And, and they're dressed um, in, uh, I, I don't remember if they're dressed in it or if the clothes are totally different clothing, but there's actual like civil war or whatever style clothing that they're yes. in. So right. yeah, makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Um, but to, to leave that in, in the midst of a montage of the guys running around New York and busting ghosts and set to not just the, the theme song, but also the, the vocal stylings of Larry King, of Casey Kasem, yeah. you're telling me in those 30 seconds you couldn't just show me another cool bust? Like, right. just just give well, me they, one well, more of those. Turns out, Hunter, they did show you a bust. Right. Well, yeah, there well, was a ghost bust, but it was it. a nut that Bustin', was busted Bustin by a ghost. makes them feel good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, don't, don't make uh, me explain the needle Saraga. I've just got busted, busted, busted <laughs> in my head, you fuckers. Uh, no, the only thing I found on that was that allegedly, like Hunter said, I don't know why they couldn't have found literally anything else. I mean, they had false publications of the Atlantic Globe, USA Love Today. That. Just find Love another that. fucking newspaper right. to put yeah. there. But it was something yeah. about they didn't have time, but they wanted to use the one scene they actually filled at Fort Detmering, and it was that. So they wanted to integrate it, and they decided to do the uh, interlude scene. What's really funny about that is that actress, uh, I believe she was a Playboy model or she was mm-hmm. some she was some model. Um, she passed away years ago. Very sad. Uh, obviously. Uh, yeah. And every year they they post on the Ghostbusters, you know, Instagram and stuff. Happy birthday to her. And I'm like, I mean, that's cool, too. Obviously, yes. But to be remembered as the ghost that gave Ray Stan's head is, oh, that's that's <laughs> yeah. a hard it's one. It's just to, a little it's a little bit. I'll I'll note just briefly as a a quick moment, because I'm sure this is stuff we'll get into. As Hunter said, he was born in 85. I was born in 91, so I was watching this movie from way too young of an age. One of the number of either quick scenes or cutaway gags that young Cody did not understand. It Uh, took teenage Cody to figure out what was happening there. Speaking of which, (laughs) the famous, I mean, in an endlessly quotable film, the part where Vakeman looks at Walter Peck and says, this man has no dick. As a kid, I was like, right. <laughs> "What's that mean?" You know, like, I, did, I hadn't heard the term "dick" uh, he, used very he often. He really got him, right? What does it mean, Dad? <laughs> he really got his goat. <laughs> I, uh, it's not something that I think needs to be removed or taken out. But another thing that always bumps me a little bit, and and I mean, again, they did what they could with what they had, but the there are certain scenes, especially the chase. Of um, the terror of dog. Lewis Tully, where the the terror dogs, yeah. the claymation terror dogs, oh, boy. just could look better. Now, now the live action ones look great. Yes, for, for the puppets look especially incredible. for an 80s comedy. Yeah. The yeah. big puppets, those look great. But when they have to move and actually run, boy, the you can tell the difference. Great, which is bad because the other yeah. ghosts hold up so well, like Slimer and and, oh, and, yeah. and every other ghost looks incredible. The the you the technique that they used where they filmed live action puppets and then basically CG'd them into the film to give them that kind of ethereal look. Uh, it was really good. So it's a shame that the terror dog looks so awful in that. And that, honestly, I'm glad you mentioned it because that's my only other gripe of the film. Yeah. Like, hard stop. Yeah. That's it. Dead ass, yep. as the kid would say. Kids would say. It's not just <laughs> one kid. I think I think that technology, or not technology, but technique that you were talking about is called Pepper's Ghost, if it's what I'm thinking, where they kind of use the uh, the mirrored I- image. So instead of just like straight up CGing it in there, they they use that. Um, it's like a lens and there's a mirror and a layering technique. So they put the puppet to make it look kind of, like you said, ethereal. Um, and, and it's, it's still very practical. Yep. Stay Puff looks great. Stay Puff through looks New amazing. York City. Looks yeah. awesome. Those are the yeah. Gozarian looks great. And again, yeah. the, the, the uh, stationary is the word I'm looking for. Terror Dogs 
look awesome. It's yep. only when they have to run that you're like, oh man, I can so clearly tell that's not. And right. it's primarily because you know, having just watched it, the the Lewis Tully chase scene after they leave Spook Central, it's when the claymation uh, dog does this magical jump over the wall that yeah. Lewis has to like crawl yeah, over, and you yeah, just see the very yep. tilted leap and into the next scene. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 1984. One of the things I love about and, Ghostbusters and, Afterlife is that we had the terror dogs come back in that, and now with the technology that we have, right. they looked incredible through the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. But Return of the Jedi um, had a similar problem with uh, the Rancor. When I saw the original I, Return of the Jedi back before they cleaned it up, you know, everyone gives George Lucas shit for e- editing and going back and restoring and whatnot and messing with the classics, but that original cut with the Rancor looked rough, and they cleaned it up real well. Yes. And I feel yeah. like they could do oh, that yeah. with the terror dogs, but maybe that's part of the charm. I uh, one thing that that always gets me a little bit about that scene, and it's not something I don't like. I actually really like it. I just wish they'd done more with it. And it goes back to not loving the claymation when Lewis backs up against the, I forget the name of that restaurant. Um, uh, Terrace of the Green. That, that Terrace glass, on the Green. Terrace of the Green. Terrace, Terrace on the Green. Yeah, that glass walled restaurant that's in uh, Central Park, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Lewis backs up against the wall, and of course he just slides down, and everyone goes back to eating because they don't see anything. The implication. Yeah. Being that they can't see the terror dog, even though, you know, previously we see it burst out of the... They did so much in this movie early on where you couldn't see things that were happening, and that was kind of scarier, like the copper pipes that they put through the card catalog in the library to make Mm -hmm. all the cards fly out, and they were just blowing through them. I would have loved that scene to be, no one else can see the dog. Only, only... Lewis can see it and so all the things that are happening when you see it from his POV it's stationary and it's growling at it but then when he runs it's just you see the wind like you know blow by on everyone else's clothes or the door just bursts open out of the the apartment building instead of actually seeing the claymation one run that would have been great and then occasionally again a static shot shot of it just looking at at him you know, I mean, it, I, I'm giving yeah, notes to a, a 30 year old movie still, but <laughs> it, it bothered me 40. that that everyone didn't react to it as a kid. It bothered me that right because yeah. I, I they absolutely can see it. I think because even when he bursts out of the room and the cop, I think, is talking, he's either talked to another cop or he's talking to like the bellhop. He says someone mm-hmm. brought a bear to the apartment. Like they could clearly see this thing. Um, so right. and so the only thing in my head, my head cannon, is that because it's New York. And because everyone's an right. asshole, that they saw it and they just didn't care. They were like, "Well, fuck that guy," and they just went back to eating because you know, they, like they say in the second movie, you know, you got a uh, what a hundred million assholes out here being miserable. So uh, that's what right. I shocked it up to. <laughs> yeah, 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 and that's a that's a pretty regular sort of go to for these movies is that things can reset back to normal just because it's New York, right? Um, in the and 80s. part of me kind of loves that. I there, Sometimes it feels a little bit like a cop-out, but I do sort of love the idea that just eventually New York goes, ah, yeah, you know. <laughs> right. And, and, and this movie is it's, it's so New York. Like, this movie just, it's yeah. it's bathed. Oh, yeah. and, and part two even more so, I think. It was a, such a big representation of New York in the same way that, you know, Beverly Hills Cop yep. with Detroit and, and uh, Beverly Hills and all that stuff. Um, yep. The setting of New York was great for the Ghostbusters and yeah, I just I can't tell you I I can't tell you how much I love this film, Cody. It's hard to put in words. I know we all you know, and we could just literally fawn over this for hours. We have amongst our collective friendships. Every so we're just week. putting we're just putting it to audio for you to listen to at home. It's right. uh uh I, I think you guys hit multiple of the main bullet points I had in terms of issues. I think the only other thing that I've really noted that I wish we would have gotten more of is and again not enough time 
probably not as intriguing to other people as it would be to me. But seeing Venkman's lack of scientific credibility at Columbia that caused him to be chased. Because <laughs> obviously the intro of the movie after the, the first ghost scene is him messing with ESP and the negative reinforcement and Dean Yeager just ranting at him about his, you know, theories being the worst kind of popular tripe. His methods are sloppy. <laughs> how that You're was so low a poor scientist, Doctor Frankman. And I love how, how he accepts it. Down so low. Poor. I love how, how he accepts it. Vagman just goes, I see. And yeah, he's just because yeah. he's right. He's That's right. my yes. favorite part. Like as a as a kid, I hated this part of the movie because I'm like, just get. I don't give a shit. Just get the packs on and let's go. <laughs> like that movie could start at the Sedgwick Hotel as a kid, and I would have been totally satisfied. But nowadays, I really appreciate the characters that hate the characters that we love. Like yeah. William Atherton yeah. as Walter Peck is freaking great. Um, that the guy who plays Dean Yeager, whose name escapes me, the actor, but yeah, he's great either. as well. Again, that that little Which, monologue, just that you are a poor scientist, doctor. And, he even just goes, Dr. Vankman. Like, he's putting air quotes around it all. How many issues in the Ghostbusters film, especially the first one, was created by just the fact that Peter Vankman was an asshole? Like, uh, he's the worst kind of the worst yeah. kind of face of the party, because he'll <laughs> yeah. get you out of trouble like he did with the mayor, but he'll cause that trouble 30 minutes prior to get you into it in the first place. Literally, when Walter Peck comes in, yeah, Walter Peck's a little off-putting. He's a little rude, but he was polite to Vakeman and just said, I I wanted to... He worked... What did he work for the... uh, Environmental Protection. Yeah. Yeah. He just wanted to see the containment units. He had (laughs) concerns that these guys were running around with, you know, nuclear devices. And and Vakeman was just, you know, just, just fucking pissed them off and and licensed yeah. they literally say they're unlicensed nuclear accelerators right. they're open about this amongst themselves of course the government's concerned about that right which well, is I funny mean, actually said before and i think is it is it wild and crazy guys cody that mentions that this is i know i read it in, in an article and i referenced it when i did uh the the two-part ghostbusters episode of the inquest late last year mm-hmm. go check that out if you have it Definitely. by the way um they they um it's often referenced that this is a an 80s Reagan conservative movie. Yeah. Yes, These guys yes. are blue-collar workers who start a small business yeah. and who get run over by the government, and they very much make big government out to be the villain. Yeah. No, that's mentioned It's mentioned in, in Wild and Crazy Guys at least a bit because they talk about the blue-collar process and this being Reaganomics, which is actually the only bit historically the movie's in a vacuum. Reagan's EPA in the 80s was very strung up, had budget cuts, and wasn't doing anything. If I had to put on my believability cap, Reagan-era EPA doesn't have the funds (laughs) to give a shit about this business. But you talk about it. It's pretty clear that Walter Peck wants to be more than that. I mean, I think at the end of the day, and that's one thing that, you know, take take 30 seconds away from Ray's ghost blowjob and give it instead to Walter Peck, like making it very clear that this is not where he wants to end his career. Make him a little more of a villain instead of just Venkman being the problem of, a, right. you know, I'm going to shut these guys down and I'm going to be mayor next. Yeah. Like yeah. that's where this is going. Yeah, because it's it, a DA trying to make a major bus so that they can move up the ladder to the right. judgeship. And that yep. that felt like exactly what it was in that scene where he is talking to the mayor and he's confronting the mayor with the Ghostbusters. Uh, he very much has a grudge against them. You could tell that he's got aspirations. Yeah, there's little things that I feel like they could have stretched out better that they could have covered better. Now, some of that was covered um, in extra media, like the video game. 
the the one from 2000 right. what was it 2014 13 12 uh, earlier that 2008 2009 no it was earlier oh, than that yeah it was seven or eight i think oh yeah I think I'm, it's eight. Sorry, I'm thinking of the wrong girlfriend 2008 uh <laughs> long story <laughs> but walter peck was in that that and you know he he had made a he's going to be in firehouse so maybe we'll see yeah. even more uh i love william atherton he's I have, I have one of my theory. favorites oh, oh boy <laughs> well we'll save that for epilogue i'll talk my about friend. it later yep, yeah yep I think we should mention that Ghostbusters also inspired, probably as a kid, there were two types of toys I wanted more than anything, Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles was way more available to me because there was so much of it, but I fondly remember my Ghostbusters toys. I loved the video game on Nintendo, not the first one, the second one, which yes, I know isn't as good as the one that came out. I'll rewind back to that point in a minute because I have childhood memories of being terrified of it. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just, I I could not get enough Ghostbusters. I had the Proton Pack. I had uh, all the toys. I was, again, I can't, I can't describe to you how much this movie means to me. It's, it, there's very few films that mean so much to me. In fact, it's probably just Ghostbusters. I can't think of another film that I love so much that I will tear up talking about it despite the fact there being nothing sad. (laughs) It's just because I love it that much. I have, I have a lot of movies that I love, but I have a very specific. Um, I was going to call it a triumvirate, but you almost have. I almost have to expand it to to five because it's Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, um, The Empire Strikes Back, Jurassic Park. I think is the only one that breaks out of the '80s, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. For me, that is the five upper yeah. echelon that cannot be. And I love Tombstone. I love a bunch of other movies, but that's the those are the five that five. really just. I can't break away from, but Ghostbusters continuously sits on top. Yeah, no movie gets past that. I don't think there will. Time. There will never be a film that touches me the way Ghostbusters did. Uh, I, they just won't. I mean, to the point that you know, we'll talk about it in epilogues. But um, Ghostbusters Afterlife was a good movie. It was a very good film. But yeah. the just based on the characters, the final scene wrecked me emotionally in ways that I didn't think oh. I could be wrecked emotionally. Uh, we'll, talk oh, yeah. about, we'll talk about that here in a few. Cody, you mentioned the game. I got to hear this story. Okay. So uh, actually two things, since we've mentioned both the modern games and the original. My first long-lasting memory of Ghostbusters is not seeing the movie because I know I watched it on VHS as soon as I found it at a garage sale and poured over for years. We had one of the number of games we had left for our NES when I was a small child, three or four, was Ghostbusters. And for those of you who may know, for the the PC versions in the 80s, the NES version, the game, when you turn it on and hit start, or at some point if you stay on the title screen for so long, it says, Ghostbusters! Yeah. My brother at one point, again, three or four, we're in my grandparents' living room. He has the TV turned up probably far too loud. And I'm coming back from, like, one of the back bedrooms at my grandma's house. I'm walking in the living room, and I'm not even, like, seeing the TV. I just hear it almost full volume. Ghostbusters! And three- or four-year-old Cody almost pissed himself. <laughs> maybe maybe did. <laughs> it's, so hard, it's hard Cody, to tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The memory doesn't stretch back to that component, but I remember being terrified of just the screaming eight-bit Ghostbusters voice. <laughs> Ghostbusters, it's like okay, cool. It, it's it's one of those IPs that is you know parodied constantly. It's referenced in everything. Um, it is one of the most classic comedies of all time. And also interesting, since we like to tell a little bit of trivia here, I know everybody knows this, but it's worth mentioning. Hunter, you said earlier about how if they had called it Ghost Smashers that it would have been less of a legal issue for them. That is because there yeah. was a... It wasn't just a cartoon. There was a live-action show, too, wasn't film, there? 
Filmation, yeah, had both a live action and a, and a cartoon version of something called Ghostbusters. Uh, that was one of those classic sort of what you would think now of as like the Hanna Barbera type cartoons. Yeah. There was a there was a purple gorilla in the animated one. There were two kind of bumbling guys, and they did basically what the Ghostbusters were doing. Only it was more like investigatory, and yeah. there was like a robot villain or something. It was it was really. Odd. It, it was, was kind of that that odd. It, it, it was, was actually, more slapstick. Uh, yeah, it was actually yeah, Dan Aykroyd's uh, original pitch. <laughs> Is that, that what it was? was? <laughs> that was his idea. Yeah, they, they, they made it. The they planet. made it happen. Yeah, yeah. And so the the title they had to kind of wrestle away from them. Um, Columbia at the last minute had a bunch of different versions of this produced that were Ghost Smashers, Ghost. Uh, I think Wranglers was one. Maybe like there that, were a yeah. bunch of weird ones. Um, and they ended up managing to to settle for the for the rights to do it. But of course, when it came time to make a cartoon, uh, they didn't have the rights to make a Ghostbusters cartoon because they didn't pay for that. They paid for live action. So what do they do? And maybe the pettiest Such move in animation move. history. Yeah, they named their cartoon the real Ghostbusters. Such a dick move, which right is there. great. Yeah, it's a great name, a, though. Yeah, it oh, is. Man, it works so well. Oh, it's such a good name. I always wondered if in Ghostbusters two, if they referenced that whole legal battle because they're when they bust the courtroom ghosts, which is probably honestly yeah. my favorite scene in all Ghostbusters history, is the courtroom scene with the Scalari oh, brothers. brothers. Oh, Scalari oh, brothers yeah. scared the shit out of me as a kid. Um, yes, but they when they bust the ghosts, Bill Murray, as Peter Vakman says, you know, we're we're the only Ghostbusters. And I wondered, is that a <laughs> shot? Because damn, they were so uh-huh. petty, so petty about it. All right, so I I would have loved quick. Well, no, you know, I'll, I'll mention it here. I'll mention it in this. This seems like a good okay. time to talk about it in just a little bit. So, basis of the film, we love it. Very few issues. Classic eighties comedy. One of the best. Ivan Reitman is a great director. Everyone in this movie is talented from top to bottom. It's funny. It's yep. it can be scary. It's it's everything. This movie is everything. This in the '80s, where everything was so you know porkies and stuff like that, to have a movie like Ghostbusters, which to, to, you know in a lot of ways is very it's very family friendly. It's a very family friendly of uh, yeah. '80s comedy, a PG rated film. Yeah. Uh, so for all the people that are like, yeah. well, if it ain't Somehow. rated R, it can't be good. Yeah. Well. Well, this was actually <laughs> trivia. You want to say trivia about that? The reason this movie is PG is because PG-13 didn't exist yet. And this movie is right. allegedly one of the reasons PG-13 came into existence. Temple of Doom. Temple of yeah. Doom would be the next year, 85 or 86, yep. I think. Um, and and it was Temple of Doom and Gremlins? Gremlins. Uh, no, Temple of Doom I was think. 84, summer 84 as well. God, how are these both in 84 summer? So maybe it was just right after that because Temple of Doom and Gremlins, I think, were the the two that that set off the move for a PG-13 rating. We can't have kids seeing the Gremlins. It would be ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, I think it should have been rated PG-13 for the dick joke and for the part where as Dana Barrett is being grabbed and and pulled into the light by Mm -hmm. the Gozer arms. And I think it's Ivan Reitman's arm. He like straight up not, just not grabs that's on the chest. Not that's okay. on the chest. So he he was one of them at one point in time. But there is a really great story about that too. Um, there are several guys who were puppeteering those arms that have to burst out of the chairs and grab her. Uh, yeah. There was only one convenient space to do it, and it was it was her chest. There was no other good way to do it and get the right leverage to move the chair. Well, they did this several times, and the guy who was puppeteering that specific arm was nervous because he didn't want to grab Sigourney Weaver, of course. He's like, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not right. So legitimately, after they did it a couple times, it didn't work. She called the guy over. He pulled the glove, you know, the, the arm up through. She grabs the back of it, 
slams it onto her breast and looks <laughs> at him and goes, now get over it. Let's get this done. <laughs> Yeah, and of course she did. It's Sigourney and, and it was Sigourney the, she did. It that. was the yeah. best day of his life. Easily. <laughs> um, it was only a Tuesday. There's so many little trivia right. things that I missed watching that film up until like into my twenties and thirties and sixties. Uh I, I never noticed before <laughs> the all the advertisements for Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Or for Stay Puff Marshmallow yep. Man. I never There's saw that. Brick one on the wall, the, the marshmallows that are on the counter with yeah. her eggs. Right, yeah, she has one yeah, those eggs, yeah. are that's it. There's there's yep. so much in there um, that that foreshadows that. We we have to do this since you mentioned it. I feel like we have to before we get into the epilogues because you knew this show was going to be a little longer anyway because it's our it's legitimately our favorite. Movie. I'm trying to um, rope it in. I swear. If I know, I know, but I I, I feel like we, we own the network. You own the network. We own the network. It should have it should have been PG-13. We all agree, right? Yes. Which means it would have been allowed one fuck one f word. Yeah. Where should where should it go? Uh, Harold Ramis. I, have, I have an immediate thought. When he says your mother, <laughs> it should have been fuck you or something. Because no one would right. expect Egon Spangler to say the F word. Well, see, I, I was I like, like close I to like that. I was thinking when he uh, when uh, Bill Murray asked, where's the key master? He says, oh, shit. That would have been, oh. <laughs> anyone understanding what the parameters or what the severity of that situation would have been it's egon before hutter says I have a, his I, have a left. I, I just want to mention yeah. i take back what i said because the part where egon says your mother is my one of my favorite uh, just the way he Great. says it he's yep. so angry because but he's, he's so, so nerdy unemotive throughout yes. the whole thing i mean he, yes. it's it's well known that he made an harold ramos made an intentional choice not to smile in the entire movie egon never smiles on screen until ghostbusters 2 when he does the do ray egon joke in the courtroom that's the first yep. time that he ever smiles on camera um so yeah it, it really is a great moment of him just going your mother and just <laughs> <laughs> he's the one that gets so um, angry yeah yep my my uh my vote for the the one f bomb, and in fact, uh, again, if the internet is to be believed, it's actually what the original line was, but they changed it so they wouldn't get an R rating. Uh, would be very simple. Fuck off, man. I'm a scientist. <laughs> oh God, that I would think about that. Instead of back yeah. off, yeah, yeah. Instead of back off, the the rumor was that. Now, to be fair, in the scene, the way it plays out with the guy getting way too close to him and him just calmly saying, "Back off, man." I think that works, but I I do think it it would be much funnier if yeah. he just well, fuck off. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of the same thing with you know Bill Murray saying "mother puss buckets" when the Stay Puff steps on the church. Yeah, yeah, it, but, it just works yes. well. Nobody steps on a church in my town. Well, it's it's yeah. you know this is completely different, but you know I'm a big fan of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and I thought Aqua Teen Hunger Force was so much funnier when they bleeped out the curse words. But if you watch like the DVD versions, they leave all the cursing in. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. funnier when you don't hear the F word. You know? Oh yeah. Like it's it's you don't have to say the F word to be funny. You don't have to show blood, violence, gore, and nudity to be a good horror film. Right. Very many misconceptions. Let's let's get into the epilogues portion of this. Now, as we said earlier, obviously there is a mountain of post Ghostbusters stuff you can pour through. There's comics, there's b- books, there's uh, video games, there's TV shows, there's sequels. But however you guys want to play this, if you want to play it as what should have happened or continue off from where Afterlife is, um, I I I'm gonna stay out of this one. Well, I feel like mine no. is, is going to be the same. No, you're Hunters. not. <laughs> well, I feel like you and I have the same thought because we've, we've talked about it before. So if you go past Afterlife, um, the way that it should be is that the next movie should be about Winston. 
Winston, who has taken over, you know, the Ghostbusters. He's financing it. You have a whole new crew of Ghostbusters that are training. I'm glad they brought back McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard. Um, I, I, I think those guys were fantastic in Afterlife, especially McKenna Grace. I, when I saw McKenna Grace in Afterlife, my first thought was she is going to be a star. Star making appearance. Phenomenal. Not just in that, but that, I have to mention the ending to Afterlife. We we referenced it earlier, but the ghost of Egon Sprangler coming back for one last bust with his best friends and and reuniting with his daughter and saving his granddaughter. I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking cry just talking about it. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. leave it there. Um, but that song at the very end of the movie, uh, haunted. Uh, I think it's uh, haunted, haunted house. house. Yeah. Haunted house. At first, I was so mad they didn't play Ghostbusters the the theme at the end because you know you're used to that with the other Ghostbusters movies. But once I heard yeah. Haunted House, I immediately downloaded it. I listen to it all the time. It's one of my favorite songs. So she mm-hmm. absolutely killed it. I hope she stays with the franchise forever. But Winston taking over the role of the of the leader of the Ghostbusters and financing all this, I, I you can go anywhere with it. They're, they talked about before about creating different branches of the Ghostbusters in different cities and you know right. expanding it to not just this one group. And that's where I would like to see it. I would like to see like the MCU. A Ghostbusters universe where you have uh, McKenna Grace and her brother as, you know, over on the East Coast. Maybe you have a West Coast Ghostbusters. There's so much available lore there. I I wish, I truly wish that they had done Answer the Call a little bit differently. Not used it as a reboot. Used it as Ghostbusters on a different coast or something. Because you could bring them back into the fold. Yeah. I, I like that movie, but I definitely had issues with it. There's so much you could do with Ghostbusters. Um, well, of course. Because the franchise rights alone will make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. <laughs> my only request... <laughs> it's if, one of my favorite lines. If Jason huh? Reitman's listening, if anyone's listening from that series, my only request for the future Ghostbusters stuff is, please don't stop. I never want Ghostbusters to end. <laughs> to go away again? I never... I It took... Yeah. It took, what... 30 years for us to get new Ghostbusters. And 36, because I'm actually looking at that number right now. It took 36 years between Ghostbusters 2 and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Not counting Answer the Call, which Answer again, call, right. Answer it's, call, it's, which it's its own you thing. Shave, yeah. Say six years off of it, so 30 years. Yeah, you almost nailed on the head, 30 years. But my God, like... Yeah. Well, that I, was the thing was in the trailer for that. It said that much. The thing yeah. of it is, because you really can't count it as, as canon to anything else, nope. because they established that... Nobody seems to know what's going on. Then you have to, you almost have to discontinue it. Uh, the comics, the, com- the yeah. IDW yeah. comics yeah. did a great job. And I'm referencing behind me because they're back there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did, did a great job of bringing all that together. But that's at the same time, you've got to now be comfortable with, you know, it's Ghostbusters. So you can be, but interdimensional travel, uh, almost a form of time travel in a way. Cause it brought yep. together the real Ghostbusters, the extreme Ghostbusters, right. the original uh, oh. movie guys. It brought together 2016. It brings the rookie in from the 2008 video uh, game. He's part crazy, of it. Crazy. Um, yeah, it's it's a whole thing, and it works. It works really well. Yeah, yeah. Ghostbusters um, International was a great comic book run. I highly so, recommend it. Okay, yeah. actually, I do have something real quick. I do have something really quick. So, assuming this was before Answer the Call or Afterlife ever happened, Lindsay and I, I've, I think I've referenced this on the show too before, Lindsay and I were driving to Pennsylvania one year. I forget what year it was. This, I think this was after the game came out. So, Ghostbusters was fresh in everybody's mind. On the way there, I came up with the plot for the third Ghostbusters movie that I wanted to see. This is right after Harold Ramis died. So, yeah, it's somewhere in that 2000, uh, what, Ramis died in 2013, I think, or 12? Swamp, I'm pull up right now. That seems right. It had to be before 16, because they referenced it in Answer the Call. Right. Um, and I 14, was, February yeah, 2014. Okay. So, 14. so it was definitely 2014. Yeah. We went to Pennsylvania. And I came up with a plot where uh, 
Egon Spangler had passed away and the Ghostbusters were in shambles because he was kind of their leader. Ray was horribly in this horrible depression because despite the fact that they had busted these ghosts and done all that, he had Egon did not come to him. Egon did not reach out to him. There, there was no contact between them. So Ray was depressed because his best friend was gone and didn't seem to, you know, reach out. Um, meanwhile, you've got the other Ghostbusters have all kind of splintered apart um, until Oscar, Oscar's son, is kidnapped through the closet door by the Boogeyman. And you find out that Egon Spangler, in his last moments, was researching the boogeyman because he had dealt with him as a child you know referencing the real ghostbusters film and the boogeyman is what led to him dying and so now you've got oscar and the like new ghostbusters teaming up with the old ghostbusters to stop the boogeyman who is kidnapping children all over the world they go into that dimension they save the day they stop it and the end uh you see egon spangler's ghost as he kind of says goodbye to ray as they're all sitting in like a coffee shop drinking coffee or or having a meal and ray looks out the window and he sees egon's ghost just kind of smiling at him as he disappears and he smiles and and then you fade to black um that was my plot for ghostbusters 3 and i thought it was a pretty damn good one because i i love the boogeyman and i love egon spangler and it had big doses of both so that's where i would have taken the franchise but instead they did afterlife and um, considering the fact that I cried for, I think, 72 hours straight after Afterlife, clearly they did, <laughs> clearly they did something good. Yep. So that's, that's, my, that's my throw in here. Cody, go ahead. And, and that's the thing, is that because we've had so much supplementary material, I don't know if I've ever actually conceptualized what to follow up with. Now, obviously, Ghostbusters 2 has a lot of detractors, including Bill Murray, Hunter, or Shannon, you and I have shared that there are times we enjoy two more than the first. Absolutely. And just because of various reasons. And I hate Bill Murray. (laughs) Boy, boy, the man, everybody (laughs) should, uh, should love to hate, but yet they uh, hate to love. Here we are. Uh, The only thing I I think I would want to see, and it's again, maybe picking up off the ghost smashers, you know, fever dream that never was. I would like to see what the nineties ghostbusters go to hell and the hell Manhattan that, Oh yeah, just because yeah. it's so it's so freaking <clears throat> off the wall. I mean, again, it's very much a Dan Aykroyd story. Yeah, and Wild and Crazy Guys does a really great job. I think that's where I saw the the full. Maybe that wasn't it. There's somewhere I, I remember as I was reading it. It might have been when I was researching that episode of the Inquest. <clears throat> we often hear that okay, Aykroyd had an idea for a third movie where there's like an an. Uh, uh, hellish version of Manhattan. It's like yeah. you know, on the other side of the 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 mirror, and they would go there for some reason, and everything was you know uh, upside down and awful and evil. Um, but he never could quite get it together because again, it was just him trying to do it. Now Ramus was like, "Hey, I think we've done all we can do." Murray wasn't interested, and it was back to Ackroyd doing it. And so, yeah, there was this this constant discussion about how it was going to be called Ghostbusters Three Hellbent uh-huh. or. Manhelton or something yeah. like that. I have the direct uh, quote from Crazy time. Guys whenever you're ready. Yeah, please. <laughs> Hit us. Uh, so this is from Dan Aykroyd in an interview in 2016. Quote, the villain was based on Donald Trump. Huck, yuck, yuck, yuck. I wanted Alec Baldwin to play the devil in the thousand foot black onyx tower overlooking the hell pit mine of Central Park. And they, they kind of 
took that idea and put it in the game, if I remember correctly. To say, yeah, yeah. In interviewing there's about some that. similar stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's some stuff with Evo Shandor and things like that in the game. And we thought that Ghostbusters the game was going to be it. That was your Ghostbusters three. three. It was yeah, the last chance we three. had for them all to be together. For yeah. a while, they I remember at least Ackroyd was saying that's three. That's the yeah. third movie. Yeah. We're that that's as good as it's ever going to get. It's the last time we were all together. And it was if you good. wanted a third movie, go play the game. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, good it was great. They all came together to make up for Bill Murray's bitch ass attitude. Um, which you can hear in the in the audio. Oh you my god, very he's so bored. He's yeah. so bored. And if I remember correctly, he's Cody, collecting a check. You and I have talked about this before. Uh, Ramus Hudson and Ackroyd actually did extra lines to make up for the fact that Bill Murray like didn't finish his parts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, I I Correct. can't I can't describe until and I've forgiven I have forgiven Bill Murray since then because when when Harold Ramis passed away, um, I'm sure you guys have heard the story. Brian Doyle Murray reached out to to Bill and said Harold's not doing so good. So Bill Murray went to Harold's house and they made up and they spent a bunch of time together and they you know yeah. uh, they, they they buried the hatchet when Harold Ramis passed away. Bill Murray did that great tribute to him at the, I think it was the Oscars where he wore the 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 suit and uh in mentioning the I think actor of the year he put Harold Ramis's name in it and named off all the big movies he had done. So I think Bill Murray clearly has a love for Harold Ramis. Um but at that time period, boy, I I could not have hated Bill Murray more because not only did I I I hated him because he robbed me of Ghostbusters 3. I will I I was so mad that I would never get to see Egon Spangler again because he was so selfish. And that is one thing that I absolutely will forever thank uh Jason Reitman for in Afterlife is I got to see Egon Spangler again in probably the the warmest moment in a movie I've ever seen because of my own personal bias, but it meant so much to me to see Egon in that role. And afterlife was very much the Egon Spangler movie. And that was everything to me. So sorry. Absolutely. I had to rant. (laughs) No, no, it makes sense. Uh, I forgot, um, I forgot where we were at this point because I ranted so long. Uh, Tony was doing a thing, but he was talking about, yeah, what, what could have been the, the third movie that, that, um, that Ackroyd had the kind of pitched. yeah, and I don't, I don't hate it. Yeah, some version of that. Um, I have often, often referenced. Uh, say what you will about the guy, but Max Landis wrote a treatment for a third movie that almost happened until they ended up going with uh, Answer the Call. Sadly, if it had been Afterlife, I'd be a little less forgiving. But they went with Answer the Call, and I would have much preferred this. I do get that that Landis, a lot like Ackroyd, writes a movie that would cost a billion dollars to make and would be almost impossible to do. Yeah, but dream big kids. What comes, what, well, that's the thing. What comes out of it is a lot of the stuff that we've talked about and what it now feels like we might be heading toward by the time that you know whatever the the codenamed Firehouse movie ends up becoming uh, is and and does in the aftermath of it. His movie was a love letter to Egon and to Harold Ramis. Um, was a way to send off Ackroyd and the other Ghostbusters, basically, uh, except for Hudson. Hudson would stick around as the financier, who which is going to happen. Um, and then we lose on uh, going to happen. That seems to be the direction heading. It establishes that there's there's more Ghostbusters. I mean, that to me is the most important part. It establishes that there's more of them coming. One of the big things they did in that movie, there in his treatment for what would have been the movie, was the regular New York setup is one of the last remaining branches. It's old, it's run down, it's using classic tech from the 90s. It's, at the time that he wrote it, popular comedian, so I know Kamel Nanjiani and Jenny Slate were two of the ones that he had listed as as potentials for that group. Patton Oswalt, I think, was on the short list, too. Um, but then the, like, the, like, sleek, hip, you know, 2020s Ghostbusters using brand new stuff. They had, like, a muscle car instead of a hearse and all that. 
was basically the Sunny cast. It was Glenn Howerton. I know he was mentioned at least. I think Rob McElhaney was the other one, and they were like super clean cut. They had like some voluptuous woman. I think he said Megan Fox was the one that they were banking on. It. Oh no, Hunter having a little bit of trouble. Yeah, which a uh, joke at the expense of Mortal Kombat One here, right there for you. <laughs> uh, we ran into this uh, last night too. He. Uh, had some internet issues when we were, I think we were getting ready to record, but we're going to yeah. keep this episode alive until Hunter comes back. So. Yeah. I, I, I have pulled up for what it's worth since he was talking about it a bit. Max Landis's Ghostbusters 3 treatment, or at least some, what he calls a fan fiction of it, because it's on Medium, the you know, long form writing site. Yeah. And he talks about, again, some of the components that were, you know, talked about. Uh, quote, did the Atlanta chapter really need a helicopter? The company is bankrupt on the verge of collapse, and that the uh, you know New York is uh, I'll quote it quote the original Busters are for the most part long gone. Vankman took the money and disappeared to seclusion. Winston Zeddemore quit the Busters in '91 and has since become a Richard Branson style billionaire. Egon Spangler accidentally ascended to a higher plane of existence, leaving only the increasingly delusional Ray Stans who has run the company into the ground. So some of that went into the afterlife. Film. I'd say some of that very much went into afterlife between Zedemore being a Richard Branson type, at least as we know so far, yeah. uh, Ray becoming very secluded, maybe not, you know, delusional or insular. Hunter, it's, it's crazy. I don't know what happened there, but yeah, uh, well, we got, we got what well, we covered for you. We got you back. Um, thank you. I, I always love the fact that I think of all the characters in the film, across the films, even though he was always the minor character, the minor Ghostbusters, um, the Ghostbuster, Winston Zeddemore, to go from the everyman who's just looking for a paycheck to, in the game, in the game, they specifically mentioned that he was getting, I think, his PhD, that he was in college yeah. getting it. And then by the time the Afterlife role, comes around, he's rich. The role was supposed to be when it was Eddie Murphy. I mean, again, the rumor has always been he was a former air force man so he was an he was a veteran he was ex-military he was a demolitions expert so they wanted somebody who was good at combat and who was good on a technical aspect of those sorts of things um who wasn't a doctor they wanted kind of an everyman but still somebody who could physically handle himself um and it's a shame that none of that ever made it in the movies that it took all this other stuff later on for him to finally get that that due diligence um So I, I don't remember where I got cut off because I didn't notice I was completely uh, offline. Megan Fox. I was, like a good Megan Fox. I was able to get in a jab about Mortal yeah, Kombat yeah. 1. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so there are two things that I really would love to see in the future and that, I, that I'm that i choosing as headcanon, whether it ends up coming to play or not. Number one, um, from that treatment, they, they end up, because they're dealing with like this eldritch horror that is like literally giant eye, like tearing through reality in New York, they call in all this sort of, not defunct, but just like, sitting dormant chapters of the Ghostbusters to come to New York to help. So it's those guys redeeming themselves from being like kind of villains uh, to being good guys, the the LA Ghostbusters. But the 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 sort of real world version of this Landis was saying like, you want to make a bunch more things? You want Ghost Core to be a thing? And then you can animate some of these and you can make movies and TV shows and shorts. This is how you do it. Now you attach every big star comedian to a different chapter of the Ghostbusters. One of them uh, is headed by John Cena, you know, one of them is headed by, uh, I don't remember who they mentioned at the time, but there list. were a lot of people. 
Oh, you got it? Please, by <laughs> all means. Yeah. Yeah, Max Landis, the Ghostbusters 3 fan fiction, as he calls it, is on Medium. So if you want to read yeah. some long form. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, quote, holy shit, it's Nick Swartzen, Amy Poehler, the workaholics, Key and Peele, Lisa Kudrow, Nick Kroll, Amy Schumer, Will Forte, Patton Oswalt. The list goes on. Yeah. It's the fucking Avengers of comedy in 2016. I, I like it. those you, people. <laughs> You're telling me you don't want to see uh, Tim Robinson as a Ghostbuster? Oh, like, come would, on, man! Okay, you give come me on. you give me Tim Robinson, uh, Sam Sam Richardson, Tim yes. Heidecker, and yes. Eric Wareheim as a as branch a of the Ghostbusters, and yes, oh, and Jesse Kimball would have a fucking stroke. I, I want them coming from the. I want them coming from like Battle Creek, Michigan, like the yeah. weirdest location <laughs> with Rob Van Dam. That's where they're the Ghostbusters team with Rob Van Dam. Yeah, exactly, he's one of them. Um, he gets so that's one spirits. thing I really want is is the 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 future of you know literally we go international we go across the country yeah. uh, there's a chapter everywhere it's it's again it's Vankman's dream of the franchise rights alone making them and that makes sense such. Um, yes the other the other big thing I really want out of this and we kind of alluded to it earlier and I well, I say big it's big to me uh, because one of my favorite characters always has been Walter Peck he's such yeah. a great villain who isn't meant to be a villain um, in that treatment it's hinted at one point in time that the mayor is not going to like the mayor of new york is not going to like what they're doing and winston says like you let me take care of that he's the one with the money he's got a helicopter right he's got the ghostbusters helicopter um he gets clearance to bring it in and he says i know a guy the guy he knows is the new mayor of new york walter peck who is now leading the citizens of new york like in cheering them on because he's seen the light like he has seen the Ghostbusters are the real deal. Like he hated to to believe it, but he has no choice. He saw what they did. Technically, they saved his life. And so, as he's cheering him on, he gives like Winston and the team a big thumbs up, and Winston and them just flip him right back off. And he laughs. He laughs and does it to them too. Like it's this it's like good yeah, nature. we're going to be friends, but it's just good natured. Like although I want I want that I want the William Atherton redemption story. Yeah, in the future great. of the Ghostbusters. I love the the joke though in Ghostbusters too when they meet the mayor again for the first time and Dan Aykroyd as he's speaking for the four Ghostbusters says almost half of us voted for you which meant one person <laughs> voted for him and you know it's him it's gotta you know be Ray Sands right yeah <laughs> Oh, that's uh, it. Took me a while to get that joke as a kid, but once I got it's it, it's so become one of my favorite ones. The other thing that I'd like Almost to see in the future, uh, please, as much as I liked Afterlife, the thing I didn't like about Afterlife is going back to the well on Gozer and all that stuff. Let please just yeah. let that, leave that alone. Um, I yeah, I, there can't be much more to say about that. There can't no. be. Vigo the Carpathian is one of my favorite movie villains and he had nothing to do with Gozer. He had nothing to do with the Terror Dogs. He was yeah. his own villain. Um, yes. you. You have the boogeyman. It's like Alex Krychek, Hunter. You've got the boogeyman right there. It's right there. You talk about f- <laughs> fucking scary. Like, I know if you look at the boogeyman in the cartoon, he doesn't look that scary. He kind of could be, but well, it's that it's that old animation and stuff like that. Right. But I, I've seen Even... this picture before. Look at this picture as I put it in the chat, and you tell me a live-action version of this coming out of the closet to grab children isn't fucking terrifying. Yep. Well, and even even if it's not great necessarily as a movie, again, not all future Ghostbusters media needs to be movies. This is what Landis was recommending in that he's like, you want a franchise, you want again animated series, TV series, shorts, YouTube series. This would be great as like a villain for a season of a TV show. 
Yeah. Like for, for like five or six episodes, whatever branch is dealing with is taking the, the forefront at that time has to deal with the boogeyman. Then the next one's got to deal with Sam Hain. Sam then Hain. the next one's got to deal with this. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of different things they could do with that. That would be dope as hell, especially regional stuff. Can you imagine the Ghostbusters having to deal with like the Mothman? Oh yeah. Or the Beast yeah. of Beckley or, yeah. or any of that. Anything stuff? from like, Fallout 76. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 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 well, like any any cryptid, like what, what the whole great catalog. There, there's a yes. there's a, a yes. whole world of lore. You could do international Ghostbusters, you know, yeah. in Japan. Yeah, or, they come out of Japan because they yeah. revere them there. <laughs> <laughs> they won't be welcome. The series is actually a five minute YouTube short where they get off the plane, people pelt them with tomatoes, and they go, "Well, that didn't work." And then uh, <laughs> you know, I thought it was a good short. I didn't like Krusty with the flapping dicky though. Like I didn't understand it. <laughs> didn't belong in it honestly all right that i think that's a good place to stop i think we've uh we've exhausted our ghost busting can i can i just say the epilogue i think we will all agree the epilogue is that there shouldn't be one this is basically what you were saying earlier yes i don't want there to be an ending i want and don't get me wrong i don't want it bled dry in the way that i'll be honest with you i kind of feel like maybe star wars is getting to be yes um in a lot of ways what what i want is just and to be fair, the community has done a really good job of doing this, too. A lot of the fan shorts and, and movies and stuff that are out there. I know I mentioned one. I think it was called Ghostbusters Southside on yeah. like either last year or the year before's the list. Uh, yep. Halloween list. It was great. And it's just a one-off project of these people who put together costumes and, and, uh, and you know, ghosts and, and cast a movie and wrote a yeah. thing. And they just made it happen. And that was so freaking cool because it's so easy to just go. Most people have an opinion on the paranormal whether they believe in it they don't believe in it they they whatever they they feel about it they feel pretty strongly about it um so it's such an interesting dynamic to have these characters exist in a world and just see what they do with anything related to that yeah um I just don't want that to end. That's right. what I don't want to end. I don't want yeah. to necessarily just beat the same like you said they went to the Gozer well more than once and I think that's more than enough right. um but th- there's so much more that could be done, and I don't want that to just be left on the table. Right. That's I it. 100% agree. Um, and and talking about Star Wars, just really quick, I agree with you on that because it's the same thing with the Marvel shows. And I think you and I flip-flop on that. I'm sick of the Marvel shows, yeah. but I like the Star Wars. You're sick of the Star Wars kind of and like the Marvel shows. Um, yeah. But the saddest part of the new show, ah- Ahsoka, I really liked it. Watched the ending episode last night. The saddest part about that and the most disappointing part is that show gave us one of the best new Star Wars characters. Legitimately. Yeah. Uh, Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull. Yeah, and he and he died. He passed away. The actor he can't boy, come back, and he can't come back. Right, and that the final. Well, spoiler. All right, so huge spoiler, real quick. Huge spoiler for anyone that hasn't seen the last episode of Ahsoka. Stop listening. End the episode here. The and you got this is your warning. Five, four, three, two, one. The final scene you see of Balin Skull is him standing on this. Uh, like Tanner, you've seen it, right? Give me a thumbs up. Okay. Uh, you see Balin Skull standing on this hand of a god, this giant sculpture on this planet, and he's just staring out over the horizon. And it's so stoic, and it's so perfect. And I thought, I, I legitimately, even before I saw this show, I loved Ray Stevenson as an actor. And boy, what a tragedy that we won't be able to see that character in any more Star Wars. That's all I wanted to say. Um, that's going to wrap up extras and epilogues for this evening with Ghostbusters. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Hunter, of course. Thank you, Tanner, just in general. 
just for being alive. Um, we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back next week with an all new extras epilogues, though, Hunter. And what do we got on tap? What's next? What's playing next on the projector? So throughout uh, the month of, of October, we're doing all spooky stuff. Well, it's not all spooky stuff. It's all Halloween stuff. Uh, as a matter of fact, the next couple are not necessarily all that scary. Uh, I don't know that we decided on a specific order uh, other than than this show, but throughout this month, uh, you're, you're getting our, our Halloween favorites. So it's Ghostbusters tonight. Um, we also will, in the near future, have an episode dedicated to Disney's classic Hocus Pocus, uh, where Lindsay's going to join yeah. us to break that down. Yep. Um, Shelby's coming on the show for the very first time. Uh, Shelby Kimball, who you know from from uh, After Dark, uh, to cover Beetlejuice with us. Her, yep. if, if not her favorite movie, then definitely one of because she she references it a lot. She's obsessed, um, and one of my one of my favorite uh, this time of year movies as well, and just in general. And then of course uh, the man himself, Tanner Calvert, coming back to the show for the first time in a while uh, to discuss with us. I think we finally settled on Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. Part Four. Yeah, part part four is is, is what we're going to cover there toward the end of the month. Um, and then you know because we wanted to get it in there, I know the the f- next Wednesday after that would be the first day after Halloween. Uh, Shannon, I think we should do American Werewolf in London. I, I agree know that you really wanted to do that one, and I think we should do that. We were going to do it at um, we were going to do it at Comic Con on day two, but you couldn't make it, and I refused. That's correct. So um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Let's leave it there. So, uh, say, hey, last night uh, we had the first episode of PZ85 Plays Candle Obscura. Uh, Candle Obscura. Yes. It was episode zero. We talked about our characters, the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Go check that out. Of course, before that, we had the very first episode of Hallow's Eve Tales Season 2 under the Big Top. Yep. Uh, collaborative effort between Tanner and Hunter with uh, Amber came back. Very great. Uh, Jesse did a fantastic job on that with his yep. with Ronald Reagan voice. Um <laughs> well, well, and then of course, <laughs> hey, one more thing. Uh, live from Comic Con, PZ85 plays. Hunter and the gang did Witch is Dead. Uh, Thirty-one things to watch in October. Yeah. We had the 2023 edition last week, and we started it off with Dog Soldiers. Which, if you want a good laugh, definitely go back and listen to that <laughs> one. We had fun until tomorrow. Oh, God, we had fun talking about it. We, we had didn't fun have fun watching. It. God no, God no. <laughs> until tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. The balcony is closed. We love you. We will see you. Tomorrow, right, Cody? Yeah, and just remember, uh, my parents left me that house. You didn't even negotiate for nineteen percent. Cody, quickly before we leave, just uh, you know, now that I think about it, this whole show reminds me of that time that you tried to drill a hole in your head. That would have worked. Yeah, if you hadn't stopped me. Yeah. <laughs>